Welcome to episode number 169 of the Pioneering Today podcast. We're going to be talking all about fruit plants. So putting in an orchard or berry plants, it may be you've already got an existing orchard and you need to do some work or bring in some new plants, or you might not have any and you're looking to bring in your first one. So I'm really excited to talk about this with you guys today because at the time of this recording, it is the very tail end of January 2019. And we do have an existing orchard on our homestead that we put in ourselves, oh my goodness, going on over 10 years now, as well as a lot of berry plants. But I still, this time of year, usually always bring in one or two more. So we're kind of constantly growing. So I'm going to walk you through the process and what we're doing here on our homestead and how I pick and why I bring certain things in, as well as share to you why I've had to do that over the years so that you don't make the same mistakes that we made in the very beginning when we were putting in our fruit trees and creating our mini orchard. So welcome. This is the Pioneering Today podcast, and I'm your host, Melissa K. Norris, the author of The Made From Scratch Life and Handmade the Book. And this is where we don't just inspire you, but I give you the clear steps to create a homegrown garden, pantry, kitchen, and life that you want for your family and homestead. Having fruit on your own land is an amazing thing. There is a vast difference, not only in price, but also in taste when you have homegrown vine-ripened food, but especially when it comes to your fruit. They used to get me every single year when you would go to the store and they'd have really early in the season strawberries. I love fresh, ripe strawberries, one of my favorite things. And you'd see them on the shelf and they'd be pretty and red and these strawberries and I would buy them. And every single time they were flavorless, no flavor, total disappointment. And then I was irritated with myself because they cost quite a bit. I mean, you guys, if you have bought fruit at any time in the past couple of years, you know, especially in the grocery store, those little pint-sized little packages, they can be four, five, six dollars for just a couple of cups of berries. Thankfully, we have not purchased berries or fruit from the store in years. We grow almost all of our own fruit here on our homestead and then preserve it and put it up so I don't have to buy it from the store. So we're not only saving money, but the flavor is just night and day. So if you've only had fruit from the store and you have never had it when it has been fresh picked and allowed to ripen fully on the vine, oh my friend, you gotta take my advice after listening to this and go get yourself some berry and fruit plants and put them in. Now we're talking about fruit and berries, but there's a little bit that we need to distinguish on when you're going to get a harvest. Now, typically when we are talking fruit trees, so cherries, apples, plums, pears, peaches, fruit that grows on actual trees, you are not really going to get much of a harvest until those trees are about seven years old. So you are looking at the long haul or the long tail game when you're planting them before you're going to start to get a significant amount of harvest. Now, you can purchase trees 
from nurseries that are older, so you can purchase trees that are two or three years old, you're going to get fruit faster. You can also get bare root trees that are usually only one, two years old at max, so then you're looking at five years. They're not quite as old, but they aren't as expensive, and those you can get through the mail as well so that you can order those and they can ship them through the mail. They're bare root, meaning that they're not going to come to you in a pot with a whole bunch of dirt. So they don't cost as much to ship and the plant itself doesn't cost as much either because it's younger. It's more in infancy stages, so to speak. So the growers haven't had to care for it. They don't have the time investment and the labor investment in those bare root plants like they do from the container plants. Now, what you do need to know, bare root versus plants that you're purchasing in, you know, gallon or or larger containers like that. Typically with your bare root plants, you need to put those in the ground the end of winter, beginning of spring. That is going to determine obviously on where you live. And we'll talk about that more in picking your fruit varieties in just a little bit. So as long as your ground is thawed enough and it's not covered with feet of snow, right? Then you can go ahead and plant your bare root plants from January clear up until the first part of spring. Ideally, with your bare root plants, you need to get them in the ground and planted before they start to leaf and bud out and blossom. So that's why you've got a little bit of a window there from winter to the first part of spring, depending upon where it is that you live. The fruit trees that are coming in containers so that their roots are in soil and they're not going to be disrupted and they're already growing Those you can pretty much put in any time of year. If you're a southern climate, people will even put in their bare roots in the fall. Now, I'm in Washington State, so Pacific Northwest. I don't put any of my fruit trees in that in fall. We wait until the winter or the spring. But talking berry plants, those you will get a harvest off of much sooner. You typically need to have a few more berry bushes or berry plants than you would on your fruit to equal harvest yields. So for example, from a regular standardized apple tree, you are going to get a significant harvest, whereas if you only have one blueberry bush, you're not going to get as much as you would from a tree. But your berry plants for elderberries and blueberries, you are going to start to get a harvest in the second and third year a really good harvest in the third and fourth years, but a lot faster than you are on your fruit trees. And then your raspberries and your strawberries, you will get fruit that second year. We like to have a combination and a lot of people do. The other great thing is about your berries, they're smaller. Your strawberries can be grown in container plants. Your blueberries, if you get dwarf varieties, can be grown in containers as well. And even When it comes to fruit trees, you can grow some dwarf varieties in large containers as well. So if you are picking to add some fruit into your gardening or into your homestead, of course, the first place I look is what are our favorite fruits that my family enjoys eating and ones that we are purchasing from the store. So anything that we are purchasing quite a bit of from the store or our favorites, I want to look at a way that I can grow that at home. For us, that is apples, blueberries, raspberries, cherries, plums. We do have a peach tree, elderberries, and blackberries. Now, when it comes to picking it, though, I first look at, like I said, what's something that we are purchasing quite a bit of from the store, or these are our favorite berries and or fruit to eat that we use. That's how I go about deciding what we're going to put in. 
Now, after you've kind of went through and itemized, okay, these are our favorites, you're going to look at the space that you have available to plant. Your fruit trees and your berries really do need to be in full sun. There are some varieties that will tolerate a little bit of afternoon shade, but to really get fruit for them to give you a good harvest for that fruit to be able to ripen, full sun, so at least eight plus hours of full sunshine in the spring and summer months. If you don't have a very big yard, you are probably going to look at putting in some fruit bushes and plants. Like I said, some of those can even go into containers on patios. Blueberries and elderberries are really easy to tuck into existing landscape. So even in flower beds, you can get some of the compact varieties of blueberry bushes. Blueberries particularly, as well as elderberries, have a shallow root system. So you can dig into an area. You don't have to worry about digging as deep. They don't need as much space for their roots as fruit trees do. They don't produce via runners, so they're not going to need more space because they'll multiply, as in the case of raspberries. So that's why they are great candidates to just tuck into existing flower beds. Plus, elderberries and blueberries have some varieties, especially have some really pretty leaf patterns and foliage. So for elderberries, you can get variegated leaves. So they're going to look stunning in your landscape. Then you have those gorgeous dark purple black berries. And with your blueberries, they have the pretty blossoms. I just love blueberry blossoms. They're so dainty in the spring. Then, of course, you've got your blueberries and the green leaves. But then in the fall, those leaves on the blueberry plants before they fall off turn a really beautiful red. So you've got some of that fall color coming in. So they're great additions to your landscape. Now, your berry plants, even more so than your fruit trees, especially blueberries, but raspberries too and elderberries, they like more acidic soil. This blog post that accompanies this episode I will link to some of our previous podcast episodes that we talk about knowing your soil's pH and how to amend it. So you can check that out so that when you're putting in these fruit trees and berry bushes, that you can make sure that you're putting them into soil that is going to give them what they need so that they can grow and flourish and give you harvest for years and years. Specifically, episode number 135, and that is how to test your soil pH and mistakes to avoid when amending acidic or alkaline soil. So depending on what your soil test on the pH level ends up coming up with. So when we're talking about our fruit trees, you've got dwarf, semi-dwarf, and standard. Your standards are full-size variety of trees. They can get up to 25 plus feet tall maturity. And my parents have standard apple trees that are over 60 years old and still producing. These are the big boys. Then, of course, you're going to go down to the next, and that's your semi-dwarf, so kind of right in the middle, usually between 12 to 15 feet tall and wide on these ones. But they still have a really good life span on them. They're going to give you fruit for 20, 30, 40 plus years. Then you've got your dwarfs. These are the ones that can be grown in containers. Usually they get between 8 to 10 feet tall when they're fully matured. And their shorter lifespan, 15 to 25 years, they're going to give you fruit. Personally, we put in semi-dwarf on our homestead. So all of ours are semi-dwarf. So you need to look at the space that you have available to decide which type you're going to be putting in. The next thing that you really need to look at when you're putting in your fruit trees and your or your berry plants is something called chill hours. You might be like, what? Chill what? 
So chill hours are important to know because there are certain plants and even varieties within the plants. So for example, let's talk blueberries, that if they don't go through in the winter months, a certain number of hours at a low temperature, hence the chill part, they will not produce blossoms and set fruit, or it'll be very, very limited and you're not going to get hardly any of a harvest. So apple trees, blueberries, quite a few of your fruit plants do require chill hours, but you'll want to investigate. First, you need to know what is your gardening zone. That's going to help you. And then for your area, you also need to know what your average amount of chill hours are. So where you will live on average, how many hours in a year is it between 32 and 45 degrees Fahrenheit? And some varieties even within, say, apple trees, certain varieties have a higher requirement of chill hours, meaning you need to be that temperature and cold longer than others in order to give you a harvest. So that's something that you're going to want to look into. Now, of course, your citrus, which I can't grow here, we get just too cold tucked up in the mountains for my gardening zone to do citrus. That's zero chill hours. And then you've got a variety of chill hours, some from very low, don't require hardly any and then others that require quite a bit of chill hours. So I will have for you in the resource section of the blog post that goes with this episode information so you can look at that. And to access today's blog post or show notes that go with this episode for links in the full written out, go to melissaknorris.com forward slash 169 because this is episode number 169. So after we have established the fruit and berries our family loves the most, the space that we have got, and if we have enough chill hours for the fruit that we want to be putting in, before we go and purchase or add them in, we need to look at pollination. Pollination is probably one of the biggest areas. It was also one of the places that we made our most mistakes when we first started with fruit plants and fruit trees on our homestead is pollination. So within your fruit trees, you have got cross-pollinating varieties self-pollinating varieties, and then you have triploids when it comes to apples, which I'll explain that in a minute. Essentially, you have got fruit trees and any type of blossom. So this is true when it comes to seed saving, but any plant that produces a blossom that then forms into what it is we eat. That's considered a fruiting plant. So summer squash, cucumbers, zucchini, butternut squash, tomatoes, beans, any of the things that produce a blossom that becomes pollinated, that becomes what we eat, has pollination in it. Now, there's self-pollinating and there's cross-pollinating. So what that means is on that blossom, the plants that are self-pollinating have both the male and female part inside that blossom so that it pollinates itself without any outside help, usually doing so before that flower has even opened up. It's already pollinated itself inside. So self-pollinating is usually your tomatoes, beans, or legumes are self-pollinating. And then when it gets into your fruit, you've got some varieties are self-pollinating and some aren't. And sometimes that even crosses where you will have some varieties of apple that are self-pollinating and some that are not. So that's why it's so crucial when you're putting in fruit trees that you know, is this a self-pollinating or is it a cross-pollination? So if you have an existing orchard or existing fruit trees on your property and they produce blossoms every year and a lot of blossoms, but you never get fruit off of that tree, the fruit never forms, 
almost always it's a pollination issue. So your cross-pollinating varieties mean that from a different variety, so it's still going to be apple, you have to have an apple tree to pollinate an apple, a cherry to pollinate a cherry. They don't cross-pollinate across species, but you have to have a different variety. So for example, if I have two Honeycrisp apple trees, they're not going to pollinate each other. I need to have a cross-pollinating variety that will cross-pollinate a Honeycrisp. So what that means is you've got the blossom and then you need pollen from that other variety and the bees and or the wind, usually it's bees or other insects, the wind can help a little bit too if they're close enough to each other, are going to take the pollen from one blossom on the one variety to the other blossom on the other variety. They're going to cross and then they will become fertile and they can actually form the fruit that we so desire and want to harvest and eat. So that's why it's so important that you know about the pollination. Now, you have self-pollinating varieties and they will pollinate themselves and they will give you fruit, but to get a better harvest yield, which we're all after, they will give you more of a harvest and do better if they have a cross-pollinating variety nearby and with them, even though they are self-pollinating. Specifically, when we are talking about apples, Apples are kind of the anomaly, but apples, you can have varieties that are called triploids. It has to do with the chromosomes that will not pollinate anything else. So they're kind of considered sterile in the aspect that even though they're blossoming, they're not going to pollinate your other varieties. But one of my favorite apple trees is a Gravenstein. Gravenstein apples are an older heritage or heirloom type apple. They make I'm not kidding you. In my opinion, the most fabulous flavored applesauce and apple pies. Like, I adore them. You rarely see them, or at least I do. And even here in the Pacific Northwest, up in Washington, it's kind of like apple country here. (laughs) We've got lots of apple orchards that grow around here. But very rarely in the stores do you ever see Gravenstein for sale. And even at farmer's markets and different things like that, you don't often see a lot of the Gravenstein apples. And part of the reason for that is because they're not going to help cross-pollinate anything else in the orchard. But we have a Gravenstein because I absolutely adore them. But when I first put in our apple trees, I really didn't understand the whole cross-pollination thing. And I just grabbed varieties by what type of apple I like to eat. Hence, you heard me say Gravenstein and you heard me say Honeycrisp. And we just bought all of our fruit trees by what was on sale. (laughs) And I wanted a plum, so I would buy a plum, not understanding it. So our fruit trees, one, we also made the mistake of when we planted them in the winter months, which is when a lot of times you put in, as I've shared earlier, your bare root plants. Well, I didn't take into account that in the middle of winter, the trees in our pasture, we had some maple trees, they didn't have any leaves on them, so they weren't casting any shadows. So I thought I was putting my trees in full open sun. Whale came spring and summertime, those maples leafed out, and my poor fruit trees were stuck in the shade for almost all of the day. Learn from that. So be very diligent when you're looking and deciding to put them. Look and see, are there any buildings that are going to shade this a whole bunch or any trees that aren't leafed out? So I've got a lot of sunlight coming through, but they will be leafed out later in the year. So we had to move our orchard because of the location, which set you back. You can move the trees, especially it's easier when they're little. You can do it when they're older and mature. You're just gonna need a backhoe to do so, most likely. We were able to do ours by hand with a shovel, but whenever you move them, you're really setting them back an entire year because it takes the root system, you've kind of put it into shock and it takes the roots to get established again 
and to become strong. So you're kind of not going to year off of your harvest if you have to move them. So after we had them moved, they were in full sun and I was getting lots and lots of blossoms. I discovered I wasn't getting lots and lots of fruit. Hence the pollination, why I keep talking about knowing cross-pollinating, self-pollinating, and those different varieties. Now, with your apple trees, one of the great things about apples, even though there's a lot more varieties with an apple that are self-pollinating, you know, you really have to look up each variety. Is it a self-pollinating variety? Is it a cross-pollinating? Is it considered sterile? It's not going to pollinate anything else. The great thing about that is within your apples, you have crab trees. Now, crab trees are not usually desirable just to sit and eat. I mean, there's a reason it's called a crab apple. They're sour. And they're usually pretty small, but they've got two things going for them. One, they make incredible pectin. So you can add some crab apples to your low sugar, no store-bought pectin jams and jellies, and you are not going to have to add any pectin, and it's going to help the set. Great thing. You can make crab apple jelly. So you can really use them a lot in cooking, but you're not going to just sit and pick one off the tree and want to consume it. But the really great thing about a crab apple is the way its blossoms are. One, it will almost cross-pollinate with almost any other apple variety, but it's bloom time. So a crab apple actually has two bloom sets or two ways that it blooms so that the blooms are on for a longer period of time than almost any other variety. Why this is good is because certain varieties within anything. You'll have cherries within you know all of your fruit trees. You'll have some varieties that are earlier in the year. So they will bloom earlier and you'll then, of course, get your fruit earlier. So sometimes you'll have apple varieties where you could be getting fruit as early as July. Then you've got others that you're not going to be getting fruit until October. It has to do with the bloom time. So typically you'll see early bloom, mid bloom, and late season bloom. You need to know that because if you have got an apple tree that's in early bloom and its blossoms are open earlier and then you have picked a variety to cross-pollinate it that's a late bloomer, their blossoms aren't going to be open at the same time. Therefore, they cannot cross-pollinate each other. That's why a crab apple is good because its bloom time will go through almost all the varieties the way that it blooms so that it will be available to cross-pollinate them. Now, I wish that every single fruit had a crab apple variety like that that works for pollination. They don't. The apples, however, do. So a crab apple can be a great thing. They're really pretty blooms too, the crab apple tree. So I love to see the fruit trees that bloom in the spring. And so I love my crab apple because I have those pretty blooms on the tree for so much longer. And it does great things for my fruit harvest as well. So that's what you're gonna wanna look at is picking the fruits and berries and start to put in those plants that you guys eat a lot of on your area that you have the space for, you got the chill hours for, and you've made sure that you've gotten cross-pollinating varieties when appropriate. Now, we first put in our mini orchard, like I said, it's actually, it's probably going on 10 years. I'm remembering how many years my husband and I have been married. We'll be celebrating 20 years this coming September. But we've actually been on this property that is our forever homestead going on 13 years this November. And we put the orchard in. It wasn't the first year that we lived here and developed the property. So we've had them in about 10, 10 or 11 years for my oldest fruit trees. But every year I look at one, how's my pollination doing? Because as I said, I didn't pay attention to that in the beginning and I had to bring in cross-pollinating varieties for the varieties I'd already put in in order to get a harvest. 
Last year, I added elderberries to our homestead. Elderberries are wonderful. They're not one that you should eat raw, and you want to make sure that you are getting Sambucus nigra. That is an edible variety and also is known for having the great medicinal properties to it. There's actually been an elderberry shortage because people are discovering how great elderberries can be for using in home medicine. You can make syrup out of them and jam and jelly, those type of things too. Like I said, there's a compound in there that can be toxic even on the correct variety, which you never want to eat the red ones. We're talking about the black, dark purple elderberries, specifically Sambucus nigra. But it is deactivated or that is removed when it's gone through heat and it doesn't destroy the medicinal properties. And it's went through scientific studies. There's real clinical data out there that shows that elderberries can help boost the immune system and can be used when we're dealing with viruses, which is a wonderful thing. But it also means there has been a national, no joke, national shortage of getting elderberries. I decided to put them in and to start growing them here instead of it was something I was purchasing. And I'm like, this is just dumb. I need to put them in on our own homestead and start to grow them. That was before the national shortage because I've had mine in for over a year. So last year, I added in two elderberry bushes so that they would be able to cross-pollinate each other, put them in with our landscape so that they look pretty around our back patio. And this year, I need to add in some new raspberries. My raspberry canes We had dug them up from my parents' property and they were, oh goodness, I don't know, probably 30-year-old plants. And they did really well. But the past two years, they have been declining and I have not been getting very strong, good new canes. My chickens got in them. I didn't have them netted. And they exposed all of the roots during a really hot part of summer. And they just never have really bounced back from that drought and getting their roots all tore up during a critical part of their growing season. So I am ordering new raspberry plants to put in with the few that I have that are doing good, but to replace some of the ones that have just been waning and haven't been giving a good harvest. So that's what I do. Even if you've got an existing orchard, look and see, okay, do I need to add in some new cross-pollinating varieties or do I have some older plants or trees that need to be replaced? Now, if it's just a disease or soil issue, that's a different thing and you're going to want to attend to that and not just yank it out and put in something new because you're going to have the same problems. But it just depends on, is it just a really old plant or do you want to add in some new varieties? I'm kind of excited. I'm going to try a couple different varieties of raspberries. So Hopefully, I'll extend my harvesting season by having some of my summer-bearing raspberries and then get some that will extend into fall. So I'm excited about that. But that's kind of how I look at it. Do I have this? Do I need to bring in some new varieties or bring in one new plant like I did with the elderberries? And I don't have one of my favorite fruits in the whole wide world is pear. You give me a ripe juicy, sweet pear. Oh my goodness, I'm a happy lady. In fact, I like pear butter and pear sauce. I'm going to say it. I like it better even than apples. And I don't have a pear tree. How crazy is that? Thankfully, I've got friends that have pear trees. And so I've been really fortunate enough to get pear harvest from them without having to purchase any. But I do have the space on our acreage. So I'm also going to be putting in some pear trees this year. So I'm going to be adding in more raspberries and more pears. But that's how we've done it is I look each year and see one, if I've got any pollination issues that I can bump up my harvest with or just adding in a new variety or a new fruit. And I do that each year slowly. And I'm, I kind of get really excited when the fruit catalogs come 
and the seed catalogs, especially this time of year, like I said, we're in January, I kind of salivate over them and spend more than a night or two pouring over them and being like, okay, no, I'm going to pick this one. No, I'm going to pick this one before I finalize my order. Now, if you've got your existing fruit and berry plants put in, like I said, you may want to be adding to them so that you have enough of that harvest to take you through a whole year if you're not already there. We're there with our blueberries and our apple trees. Most of them I get enough from my fruits that I don't have to purchase outside. And then coming up in February, I put my order in, but then for my existing ones, we're going to be moving into our pruning and or any fertilization if we need to be doing that, that comes with the care of the fruit trees. And I'm really excited because I love the podcast. I love podcasts, y'all. I've said this a whole bunch. I'm a podcast junkie. I love listening to a podcast while I'm cleaning or driving or doing other things. I've learned so much from podcasts and they keep me very inspired. But there's sometimes when you just need to visually see something or watch something being done. So I am announcing on here, which is going to really put my feet to the fire and keep me accountable. I have a YouTube channel. So you can go to youtube.com forward slash Melissa K. Norris. And we have the Pioneers Today YouTube channel. I've got some videos up there that are great, but I haven't been very good at posting there consistently. But that's changing. This year, 2019, I am going to be investing my time and filming and documenting for you guys more step-by-step tutorials to walk you through growing, cooking, preserving the whole Pioneering Today homestead life. So I'm letting you know that I'm working on those and we will be having coming up shortly. I still have to finish editing it, but I'm putting it out here. So one that you know and one that I stay accountable and get it done how to prune and take care of your elderberry plants in the winter, what you need to do to them. And it's going to apply to berry plants. We're also going to have pruning lessons and taking care of your fruit trees. So I'm going to take you through the season. Basically, you're going to be with camera walking around with me on the homestead and everything that we do. And you're going to have it in YouTube tutorial videos. So I'm really excited. I hope that you will join me on that and subscribe to the channel, of course, so that you get to see all the videos as soon as they come out. But I'm really excited to add this part because I know I am a very big visual learner and there's just some things I can explain to you on a podcast, How to Prune, but there's nothing like watching somebody actually do it and walk you through it. So I need to know, I need to know, what do you need to see? What videos and tutorials would you like me to do so that you can implement them and get it going in your homestead? So you can let me know in the comments of this blog post episode. You can hit me up with an email. You can let me know in the reviews if you want to go in and review and say, hey, this is what I want to see. I would love to know so that I make sure that I am creating content that is really helping you guys and that you need to have. Okay, we're on to our verse of the week. We are in Luke chapter 3, verse 9, and this is the Amplified Translation. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, so that every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and cast into the fire. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you know there's quite a few different verses about the vine and producing good fruit. And I'm always reminded whenever I'm out in the garden or working out on the property and with the animals, it's just like my time with Jesus and all of these becomes so real because you see it is so true when you prune and you do it correctly, how much more vigorous that plant is, how much more, how larger that your harvest is, you get better fruit. 
you know, it's metaphorical that obviously this Bible verse is speaking, but it's so true. And so it always brings back those stories and different parables and metaphors from the Bible, just full circle for me. I feel more close to the Lord, I think, outside being in nature and gardening and tending to things like that than almost any other time or or any other place. Gardening, it's spiritual, y'all. There is just something about it that is good for the soul. But I also appreciate this verse because it reminds me that I really do need to look at areas in my life, both looking at the homestead. And as I said, if you've got fruit trees or fruit bushes that are not producing a harvest, you need to figure out why and or yank them bad boys out, put the ax to the trunk and get them out and get something in there that is going to give you a harvest. But even in looking at different things, like I said, I need to be using my time wisely so that I can produce you guys some YouTube videos and my podcast episodes and all of that. And so if I've got activities that I am doing that are not producing the fruit that I want, well, I need to take them out. I need to stop them. I need to put the ax to them and get them on out. So I felt that that verse is very applicable for so much of what we've got going on in the homestead, both, of course, with fruits, which is the topic of this episode, but also in our activities and our daily habits. I hope that you have enjoyed this episode. And I can't wait to see what fruit trees and bushes you guys are putting in. And I can't wait to actually take you through the homestead and show you exactly how we are pruning and amending and working on our fruit plants. And I will be back here with you next week. Bye for now.